0: Growing up, my father, on several occasions, took my brothers and me, I think a few times also some friends, over to Richmond for the annual visit of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. And despite the elephant tricks and the tiger taming and the flying trapeze artists right in front of me, I always kept a wary eye out for the clowns around the edges, vaguely disturbed by their presence, because as a child, I was not a fan of clowns. I did not appreciate then what I do now about the art of clowning. Through pantomime and humorous and ridiculous costume and makeup, clowning is meant to convey profound truths about the human condition one of the famous clowns of the 20th century, Carl Valentino. In the 1930s, he had this act where he would walk out onto a stage that was completely dark, except for a smallish circle lit by a stage light. Of course, he was made up as a clown, and he would enter into that small circle of light and begin to search quite diligently for something on the floor. And after a time somebody dressed in a policeman's costume would walk onto the stage into the lighted area and ask, have you lost something? The key to my house, the clown would reply. If I cannot find it, I cannot go home tonight. And with that, the policeman would join the search, looking around this lighted area with great intensity. Finally, the policeman would ask, are you sure you lost your house key here? And the clown would reply, oh, no, I lost it over there. And the policeman said, well, why in the world are we looking for it here? He says, well, because there's no light over there. <laughs> now, that is a fairly silly skit. But beneath the surface, it shares a deep truth about us. We so often look for the key to life where it cannot be found. And there is this too. We know that about ourselves deep down. We know that's true. So the parables of Jesus, they're not clownish at all, but they they function in a similar way. They're simple yet startling little stories that reveal deep truths that lie beneath the surface of the costumes of our lives that lurk in the darkened spaces around the edges of our staged existence. The parables of Jesus often confront us with the truth that we are foolishly looking for ultimacy in places where it can never be found. So I wonder sometimes if we hear one of these parables of Jesus in church as we just have today, um, it's not unlike my earlier wariness of clowns. It's like, I don't know that I really like this. I'm not really sure I'm clear where it's going. But the gospel reading today touches down in the heart of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Gospel, according to Luke, shares at the very beginning of the 12th chapter from which our text comes today that Jesus' popularity has grown such that now there are thousands attracted to his teachings and his healings, and that It's so crowded, people are trampling upon one another, and one day in the midst of this frenzy, a young man in the crowd shouts out, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Well, given what we know about the religious and social context of this day, we might deduce at least a couple of details here. The family patriarch has died. And this is probably the voice of a younger brother whose older brother is the executor of the estate and perceived to be unfair in the distribution of the family inheritance. How ugly it can get when family members fight over the loot when a member dies. Who gets the silver? Who gets the china? Who gets the piano? Who gets the riding lawnmower? How will the proceeds from the house sale be divided? I have seen this happen. I have heard some of your stories where it has ruined relationships in your families, and I have tried with other of my family members to negotiate this tension, this issue myself. Jesus could have responded Look, young man, you do know that the scriptures provide some regulations on how we deal with family inheritance is right. You can go to Numbers 27 or Deuteronomy 21 for that. He could have also added, and there's this too, the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. But instead, Jesus sees that there's a deeper issue here at work beyond anxiety about getting perceived fair share of the family stuff, because this is not a matter of rights. It's a matter about where we place our ultimate trust. So Jesus says, I'm not really sure why you think I should referee your family squabble. And then it's followed abruptly by what sounds to us like a non sequitur. Jesus tells a parable. A very simple, short story. A prosperous farmer has a bumper crop. And the harvest, in fact, is so large that. He can't fit it into all of his barns, so he decides to tear down his existing barns and build larger barns to store his abundance, his oversupply, allowing him to feel kind of set for years to come. He can relax, eat, drink, be merry. I don't know. I don't know that I resent him too much. Um, He sounds like he's got a good head for agribusiness, He had the resources to build bigger barns. You know, there's going to come a day when the market's not so glutted and he can sell at a higher price. I don't know. He doesn't sound like a foolish guy to me. The temptation to hoard is a very serious matter in Jewish religion, as it is in many other religions and cultures, and certainly a biblically faithful response to abundance. an abundant harvest would be to share one's bounty back with the community, with the less fortunate, with the hungry, with the dispossessed, the tenant farmer, the sojourner, the exile, the lame, the orphan, the widow. Speaking of this fellow in the parable, St. Augustine centuries ago said, he did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. Indeed. But I note that in the parable, the rich farmer is not called out for being sinister. There's no theft in the story. There's no mistreatment of employees in the story. There's no criminal act in the story of any sort. The rich farmer is not called a sinner He's called a fool. God himself makes an appearance in the parable at the rich man's suddenly soon and unexpected death. You fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you? Would did all your stored up possessions get you in the end? Fool. Jesus uses this harsh word. There's only one other time in the gospel when that word is used. And the Greek root, the root word here in the New Testament, has to do with thinking. And hear this. A fool is not one who doesn't have capacity to think. The definition of a fool is one who actually does have capacity to think and does not do it except to think of himself. So it's not low IQ. One can be quite intelligent, quite clever, and yet a fool. So the parable of the rich fool is about a failure to think properly that is to perceive well the true nature of life, of reality, the true essence of what it is for us to be fully alive in life. Two brothers fighting over the remaining assets of their father. That is not real living. A successful farmer trying to store up wealth to secure his own future, that is not real living. No, these are representative of massive failure to think rightly, to know in our hearts too that our lives, all of it belongs to God. So the real failure of the rich, foolish farmer in all of us, especially in a prosperous community like this, is that despite our successes, despite the big barns we have built for ourselves, despite the countless days devoted to storing up figurative crops to secure a future and to secure a certain kind of resume for our children as well, we fail in this way. To take off our shoes because we have forgotten that we are always and everywhere walking on holy ground. Always and everywhere in the presence and with the provision of our Lord God. So a hallmark of our times, not just here but throughout the West, is this relentless quest to enhance both the quantity and the quality of life. Longer life through technology and medical advancements and better quality of life through ever-expanding prosperity and personal autonomy. All good, maybe. So with this emphasis on enhancing the quantity and quality of life, what has dropped out is the deepest reality of all, the sanctity of life. How many times have you heard me say something like this? We are like fish swimming in holy water, enveloped entirely and at all times in the love of Jesus, yet unable to discern that we are wet. How completely have we become accustomed to measuring life in terms of bigger barns? And it's not that the quest For bigger barns makes us bad. Please don't hear that. At least that's not what I'm saying. It just makes us smaller. Smaller, actually, ironically, than what God intends for us. You might be sitting there thinking right now, aren't we about to build a bigger barn right here at St. George's Church? Ah, darn this parable. (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. I'm thinking the same thing all the time, every day. We all need to be continually asking how this big project of ours is going to deepen our relationship with the Lord God. How it is going to deepen our relationships with one another, and especially those in our membership who may have more in store in their relationship to God, and how it is going to help us to bless more and more people outside the life of the church as well as those yet unborn. If we fail in asking those questions and hopefully answering those questions by God's grace, then we will indeed be yet another rich fool. The farmer is a fool only in thinking he can achieve a rich, fully alive life on his own, on his own terms. And that is some foolishness. So let me bring you in on a little secret here. The abundant life of Jesus Christ, the gospel, only works for those who realize they can't do life on their own. This is the unavoidable paradox of the Christian life. I was reminded of this just the other day reading something by a Christian writer, Um, Paul E. Miller. And he says that in his many years of pastoral work, in many conversations, in much writing, his observation is that the most outwardly mature Christians are actually the most inwardly immature Christians. That is to say that inwardly they understand how dependent they are for God to make life work. And the worst thing they can do is follow the slavish pursuit of bigger barns their heart's desire. And he shares that he has a daughter named Kim, who I think is a young adult now, but she was born with autism and developmental delay issues that caused a lot of struggle and challenge in the household in her early days. Frustration, feelings of being defeated, indeed feelings of despair. And it was one day that Paul Miller simply prayed to God, I can't do this well I am not a good enough father to make this work I am helpless and he writes that it was precisely from that moment forward that everything began to get better as he simply put his ultimate trust outside of himself and that's his story and it's a miracle story so if you think you can do life without Jesus, he may let you. If you think you can find the lost key to life looking in the small circle here or there, instead of over there, he may let you do that. Jesus also says, please don't be a fool. The good news is that God so often takes initiative and acts out of the dark spaces, refusing to let us live lives that are safe and secure from his interference. He does this once for all, of course, on the cross. And he may do it in other ways for you, as he has sometimes done that for me. Lying alone quietly, the only one awake in your house, on your bed, in the deep, dark hours, asking Is this it? Perhaps even now, in your listening, in our worship. Once we leave the safe little circle of success and accumulation as the measure of life, and venture to look for the key in the dark realm of the cross of Jesus, it is precisely there that we locate the true light who enlightens everything, the astonishing grandeur of the Christian life that is brave and generous and full and complete and forgiven and healed and loving and happy and holy. The life of Jesus is too grand, too magnificent, too beautiful. To allow our lives to be scrunched down to the mere relentless quest for wealth and success and security. So whose life will yours be?